In fandom's flame and nerdy light, let our passions now take flight. Embracing life with all our might, we are geeks and we're all right. Hello everyone, I am your host, Justin Hunt, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, Highland Division, and you're listening to the Kilted Lantern Podcast. Today's episode is uh, the very special one-year anniversary episode of the podcast. I'm celebrating Hobbit Day as our very first episode, episode zero, back in season one was a celebration of just that event. Now, forgive me if I'm a little winded, and I'm sorry that this is going to be the only episode put out this month, but unfortunately I'm in the recovery stages uh, of COVID, and between that and my wife being hospitalized with it, there's no possible way I was able to take care of the things that really matter in life and still record this. I'm not to say that you guys don't matter, but priorities are important. And as much as we love our fandoms, life is always more important than things that we just enjoy doing. Nonetheless, I uh, remember uh, about a month ago I put out a uh, poll on uh, the Kilted Lantern Facebook group, and there wasn't a huge response uh, to it. However, I was wondering what I should do about uh, this particular episode and how we should celebrate Hobbit Day. Well, it was decided that uh, some of you would actually like to hear my thoughts on the upcoming Amazon series. So we're going to be discussing that and possibly a little bit more as I tend to get sidetracked. I'm a little sniffly and snuffy still and a little prone to mentally wandering off. So I'll try to stay concise as I can. However, before we get to that, we are still going to have our usual... uh, kilts and cosplay segment and we're going to go ahead and just dive right into that you see the original uh, short episode for this month was going to be talking about the blue collar or workplace kind of thing with fandoms and so i'm going to at least include this one detail about kilts in the workplace you see for the kilt tip i'd like to point out how uh it's important to make considerations for when and where you wear your kilt. Now we've talked about occasions dealing with our civilian kind of lives. However, there are also considerations for our work environment as well. Some of us work in jobs where a kilt is not practical or is just plain um, not allowed. And now in those circumstances, it's important to remember that even if we have the freedom to wear them, if it's not practical, don't. A kilt is a great thing, it can be a part of our heritage, but it's also an article of clothing and needs to be respected as such. If you work in a job like myself and my uh, distribution job, and there's a lot of bending and such that's associated with it, then a kilt may not be a practical garment. And besides, there's also some jobs where you're clothing gets rather beat up in the process and kilts can be expensive and we really don't want to ruin them now the other uh, time you have to think about it is the respectability in the work environment in most cases as with any other occasion 
a kilt that is worn respectfully is always generally well received. However, there are times when they're not readily uh, acceptable. When the dress code calls for either shorts or pants, well, as much as I dislike the uh, bifurcated fabric torture tubes, you have to wear what you gotta wear. At the end of the day, a kilt is an article of clothing, and no matter how much we enjoy it and how much we see it as part of who we are, it's important that we obey dress code. Now, if you feel like your dress code's unfairly biased, by all means, make all necessary arguments, but never give up your livelihood just to be allowed to wear a piece of clothing. Now, the other thing you have to remember is that uh, it's never okay to go regimental in the workplace. I shouldn't have to remind any of you of this, but I just wanted to say that. Now, our cosplay tip for the day deals with mashups. You see, mashups are a great thing. I enjoy them immensely in terms of cosplay. Some are extremely clever, and there are things that I would never have thought to bring together. And then there are some others that just make no sense whatsoever, but if the person doing so enjoys it, then by all means, go right ahead. Now, what I would like to talk about in terms of the considerations is what things you need to look for. Again, knowing your goals is always something you should know. It's a, it's a ground rule for cosplay, knowing your goals. But, as it pertains to mashup, the thing you have to look for when you're putting together a good one are design elements that are easily recognizable and making sure that they're still included in an easily recognizable kind of way. If I'm, say, mashing up, say, Superman with pretty much any other character, you have to look for things that are, again, recognizable. What are some recognizable elements of Superman? His cape, color scheme, sometimes trunks, sometimes not, depending on which version you're going with, and the S symbol. Those are your key elements to Superman cosplay. If the S symbol is present, then the rest of it can kind of fade off. But if the other elements are included, you may not need the S symbol included. So you got to be careful you're not trying to cram everything in where it may not necessarily look good. If I'm combining, say, Superman with Green Lantern, you could do the entire Superman outfit in a green and black color scheme and take the S out and drop in a Green Lantern symbol in the middle of the chest and you're gonna get a very recognizable character combination because you have all the primary design elements except for the S itself and the color scheme and you're gonna get a look that people are going to recognize for what it is especially if you have the uh, diamond shape or well whatever you would call that shield shape that the S is usually within as the outside of the lantern symbol in place of the circle. That's the kind of mindset you have to go into things with. And you really have to make sure you're not trying to cram a pound of crap in an ounce of space. Sometimes less is more when you're doing mashups. 
Um, I remember one time I was uh, dressed in my English nobility 13th century attire at a convention. And just being goofy, I stuck a uh, Alan Scott-style Green Lantern ring on with it because I was wearing a red tunic um, with some other uh, Alan Scott kind of colored accents. And that ended up rec being recognized by more than a few people at the convention, and it was kind of silly that that's all it took, but again, less was more. So if you're going to do mashups with cosplays, choose your design elements wisely and try to make sure that it's a clean enough look that people are going to recognize it and appreciate your efforts you put into it. You don't want to look like a Renaissance Festival threw up on a comic book character. I mean, unless that's your goal, but ultimately that might be a little bit too much, so... Blend carefully, blend wisely. That's my advice. Alright, and now let's get on to our discussion. Alright, let's get right into uh, some discussion about uh, the Amazon series. Now, it's being referred to as the Amazon Lord of the Rings series, and I'm still personally reluctant to call it that because it takes place, and this is according to their official releases, in the Second Age of Middle-Earth. Now, we don't know a whole lot about where they're going with this. Um, those of us with it knowledge of the deeper lore of the Tolkien Middle-earth. We have our ideas, and that's what uh, you guys said you wanted to hear about, so here I am talking about it. Um, I want to start off first with what we do know in terms of the uh, behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. We know that uh, Amazon has a $1 billion budget for a five-season series, and, and that's ludicrous so it shows that they're not skimping that's a good thing um we know that they have the rights to the second age information now i don't rightly know what that pertains to in terms of what they're referring to as second age the official release statement said that they don't have access to first age stuff so that counts out the first section of the uh, book the silmarillion which includes the creation story and all that kind of stuff as it pertains to tolkien's universe um, I assume that means that they do not have rights to Third Age stuff, which is, I, I'm not sure what they're going to do in terms of that, because the Third Age stuff are the events covered by the books The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Um, I would assume that they have rights and access to uh, the appendices of Lord of the Rings, because the Book of Years is included in that, and that touches on some Second Age kind of stuff. That's especially important to greater plot points. Um, I'm assuming they have access to uh, the Akalabeth, which is a section out of the Silmarillion that deals with the Second Age as it pertains to humans. And there's a great deal of stuff in the Unfinished Tales that deals with the Second Age as well. And I'm not sure because that's deuterocanonical, I think is the term for it, when it's questionably or contrary to... Um, the established canon, which is books that were completely finished and published in a finished state, such as uh, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and The Silmarillion. 
Um, the thing of it is that uh, some of the unfinished tail stuff does go in contrast to finished works. Um, and then there's other points of it where it lines up nicely and fills in a lot of great gaps. Like we find out about the one ring wraith that actually has a name in that. And I'm not going to get sidetracked because that's third age stuff. And we're talking about the Amazon series here. And I'm going to try to stay on task as much as I possibly can. But I apologize if I digress too much. Now, okay, let's look at what other stuff we also know regarding the behind the scenes. We know that the Tolkien estate holds the final clearance on decisions being made. So they're not going to put anything in there that the Tolkien estate does not want in it. If they start coming up with like some crazy thing they, and the Tolkien estate's like, what are you talking about that's going to ruin it? They'll kill that aspect of it. So final story approval is on the Tolkien estate. So we'll know that they are at least okay with what's getting put out. Even if they don't sign on to it 100%, they'll at least be okay with what's getting put out. And I apologize for the sniffles, but I'm still in the recovery stages of COVID, so please bear with. Um, now, other things that we know um, is that there has been an intimacy coach hired to go along with all of this. That's caused no end of controversy. One of my favorite memes is still, Lord of the Rings has no boobs. Lord of the Rings need nose, needs no boobs. Okay, we know that sex isn't necessary to make the Lord of the Rings a viable franchise. However, the simple hiring of an intimacy coach does not necessarily mean that there's going to be on-screen nudity or sexuality. It does imply that there is going to be some, but an intimacy coach usually is there to assist in keeping it classier with the theme that's going on with it because directors can get a little out of hand at times and this is supposed to help everything go well. So we need to make sure that we're not, you know, picketing anything that doesn't require it. Um, other things that we know is we know some of the cast members and some of the characters. Like we know we have a Galadriel. Makes perfect sense in context and I'll explain why in a moment. Um, some people said, oh, well, they're recasting Gandalf. Well, there's some points that I'm going to be touching on with my expectations on that. But let's just say that Gandalf is not a player in the Second Age. He existed in a different form, but he's not a player in the Second Age. Now, let's talk about um, some things to help us wrap our mind around what exactly Second Age is. Because this show is being made predominantly for what I'm going to assume are probably the movie fans. Possibly some good stuff for us book fans too. Remember, I'm a fan of both. Um, but all TV shows and movies are usually geared toward the more casual fans. And there's nothing wrong with being a casual fan. <laughs> So I don't want to make this seem like uh, I'm toting myself above others for being a more serious fan. No, that's not the case. If you're a casual fan, love it at the level you love it. But that's generally who TV series and other media outside of the books are geared toward. Now, 
what does this really mean? What does this entail? What is the second age? This is where the casual fans are going to need to pick up a little bit and do some learning here. I'm sure it'll be explained in the show if you want to wait for that, but obviously this is what people ask me to talk about, so here we are. The second age takes place between the um, fall of Melkor, which is probably going to get a little bit of attention, even though he's a first age character. He's probably going to get a bit of a mention because it's very tied into some of the Second Age events. But the Fall of Melkor, which was the big baddie that existed before, well, I can't say existed before, but was the one who trained Sauron. Um, he's the one that trained Sauron back when he was still known as Myron, which may or may not get discussed in the series. Um and to becoming a Dark Lord all in his own right. When uh, Melkor falls, that's pretty much the wrapping up of the First Age, give or take. And now bear in mind I'm going from memory here, so I'm not going to be referencing specific dates or anything. But if memory serves, that is the end of the First Age. And then the Second Age ends with the fall, with the first fall of Sauron. Now, Sauron, um, as a Dark Lord in his own right, um, we get a little bit of a glimpse of that in the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, it talks about it in the books at length. But Sauron's first fall happens at the end of the War of the Last Alliance. Now, there's a little bit that happens after that, and I believe that Second Age ends about that point, but it could potentially... And with the complete loss of the One Ring, I am a little sketchy on that detail. And with COVID, I haven't been really able to focus on my readings like I should in order to be able to do this episode. But I'm going off memory. So please bear with. And if you find corrections, let me know. I'll, the email is given at the end of the show. And I'll be sure to state any corrections necessary. Um. But for the sake of moving forward, let's just uh, keep on this. Now, a lot of people think that the uh, sec first age, second age, third age breakdown includes the Hobbit in between the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And Lord of the Rings, that's not the case. The events of the Hobbit on are all well within the third age, which I believe officially starts when the Astari or the Wizards enter Middle-earth. Um which they show about the time the Necromancer starting up his whole thing. It's a little bit before that. And by a little bit, I could be off by a couple hundred years. The, the timeline's really crazy. And again, my reading isn't where it needed to be at the moment, but such as it is. So what happens within the Second Age? Second Age is kind of like the Dark Ages in Tolkien's universe. Um, in between uh, events of the First Age and the Third Age, there's not really a whole lot listed as to what actually happens. And most of it is elves recording, and this is frame narrative, mind you, but elves recording the events of men. And, well, as we all know, the elves are kind of uppity and don't really care a whole lot about men, but nonetheless. Um, what we do get um, this Dark Age period with men as the chief focus 
is probably why they're doing it as this series. Um, they're trying to compete with the uh, success that was, or at least piggyback on the success that was the Game of Thrones TV series. And for anybody that's ever said that Tolkien doesn't go dark, I, I, I'm not going to sound all hoity and lord over you, but you need to read the Silmarillion. Because in the Second Age, Tolkien goes dark. Like, dark, dark. <clears throat> Again, I apologize. But, um... When... Sauron starts becoming a power in his own right. He uh, rallies men behind him. And we're talking about Numenorean men. So this is before they come to Middle-earth. There was a place called Numenor. It ends up being sank as part of the Second Age. Um, and I want to say that that's actually one of the big telltale points of the changing of the ages. But when Sauron falls because Melkor, his boss, gets taken down, he ends up being captured and a king named Arpharazon, which he's going to have to be in this series. I don't know who's cast for him yet, but he's going to have to be a big part of it. Um, raises up the race of men and Sauron allows himself to be captured. So he's captured in quotations here. And he be, ends up weaseling his way into being an advisor because his words are powerful. That's one thing that Tolkien maintains as a... Oh, I'm sorry. But that's one thing that Tolkien maintains throughout his legendarium is that words are powerful. So he uh, uses diplomacy and rises up in the ranks even as a prisoner of Arthur's own and talks them into trying to take on the gods, for lack of a better term, the Velar. And I don't want to get onto a big sidetrack about the hierarchy, but let's just say that there's Eru Luvatar, he's the one that created everything, and then there's the Velar that serve him, the fallen Velar was Melkor, and then there's the Maiar that are underneath the Velar that aren't, aren't as powerful, so we're talking like, you know, archangels and angels, and, you know, that kind of layout. And some of the Maiar, when uh, Melkor fell, went with um, went with Sauron in servitude to Melkor. Because Sauron and the Balrogs are all Maiar, and Melkor was a Valar. So when Melkor gets destroyed, not destroyed, but thrown down, Sauron was left with a handful of his followers and such. And he gets obviously defeated as part of that whole thing. Eventually he comes in as a prisoner and climbs up the ranks. And he establishes in the kingdom of Numenor a worship of Melkor. So it's kind of like Satan worship, for lack of a better expression. And please don't contact me with a bunch of apologetics regarding Satanism. I, that's, I'm not getting into a religious discussion on this particular point. I'm just trying to, you know, give you an idea of how it's viewed in this context. Um, and anyhow, part of that whole Melkor worship includes the building of a giant temple, um, 
sacrifices, and I'm talking human sacrifices. So again, like I said, Tolkien gets dark here. And he eventually tries to convince mankind to go and attack the Valar over in the uh, over in their lands in Valinor. Which men were forbidden to go to because in the first age some really crazy stuff happens with the elves regarding that. But man is forbidden to go there and he convinces this Arfair Zone guide that they're holding the secret to immortality and they're denying mankind that immortality. Now this goes in direct contrast to what is considered the truth in that universe, that death is considered a gift of Eru, and the Valar have no ability to give or take away that immortality um, because it's exclusively Eru's gift. And death is considered a gift because it allows them to go beyond all things that are Arda, which is the complete creation, and to dwell with him. Mind you, Tolkien's Catholic, and so that tends to creep through a lot in the Silmarillion especially. Now, in this section, that's all going on there, and eventually he talks... Um, Arfrazon into leading men against the Valar and attacking Valinor. And the end result is, of course, the men lose. Numenor gets done away with. Um, some faithful are able to escape, bringing at least uh, a descendant of the original two trees of Valinor, which becomes the White Tree of Gondor by way of descent. And you read the books, you read the appendices, it's all covered in there. Um, because, guess what? Isildur is the one that does this. So we're getting some names that you'll recognize eventually in all of this. And Middle-earth was flat at the time, and it got shaped into a sphere, and Valinor is now separate from everything. So when the elves uh, sail into the Undying Lands, they're actually leaving the sphere of the Earth to go there. That's, again, Third Age kind of stuff, so I don't want to get digressed too much on that. This is all the stuff that happens in the Second Age, because other things that happen, too, are that... This is the end of the Second Age kind of stuff. Sauron, after that, is able to rise up in his own power, become his own Dark Lord. The creation of the rings, because he disguises himself as Anatar. That's the name he's going by when he's dealing with the elves to trick them into doing stuff. He takes a fair guise of Anatar and tricks them into forging the rings. And we get a good overview of that in Lord of the Rings. And the Battle of the Last Alliance is the end of the Second Age. And that's what goes on there. And it's not until after that that Gandalf comes in. He comes in at the Third Age. However, he exists as his Maiar state, as do all the other wizards, as a Maiar. Um, and he goes by the name of Olorin. So in a way, they could use Olorin in the storyline, though he's not a big player yet in any of the events during this time, according to the actual texts. So... He may or may not be there 
And even if he is there, he's going to be different than what the Gandalf we know because he didn't get that old guy look until he came to Middle-earth as the Astari and takes the name of Gandalf. Along with Kuninir, which is uh, Saruman and all the other Astari, like Radagast and such. Which that's covered in the Unfinished Tales, all that is. And so if they have access to that, that's going to be playing a big part in all of this. Now that's what we know. What I expect to happen and what I hope happens are often points two separate things. I'm expecting this to read a lot like a really well-researched fanfic. There's nothing wrong with that because there's a lot of empty space, you see. The Silmarillion in tone kind of takes place from like a global view as opposed to a personal view. If you look at it as being similar to the Bible, we're talking Old Testament, and then this person did this and the people did this kind of epic scope. That's the Silmarillion likely, likeness, like the Old Testament. And then we have the straight narrative kind of parts like uh, the Gospels, where it follows Jesus through, and very personal kind of stories with uh, characters we get to know. And I apologize for my dog in the background. But anyhow, that's the difference between the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. So in the Silmarillion, we get this bigger overhead kind of view And so they're going to have to fill in to make this a personal kind of story. They're going to have to add characters. They're going to have to make up dialogue. They are going to have to. I'm expecting it. And I know it needs to happen. And we should always judge changes based on their need and necessity. And this is a necessity in order to make a, a five-season long story out of all of this. I'm expecting the War of Wrath to be involved somewhere. I'm expecting Anatar to show up somewhere. Um, now, whether they use the name Anatar, I don't know, because, again, a lot of that boils down to what they have the rights to. Because remember, Anatar is the name and guys that Sauron was going under when he tricked them into making the rings. I'm expecting that. I'm expecting some side characters to get a lot bigger roles than they would otherwise have. I'm hoping that they actually do that because there's some characters that need that time. And I'm expecting there to be a very Game of Thrones politics kind of feel to certain parts of it. I'm expecting to get glimpses of Valinor. I'm expecting to get a lot of Numenor. I'm expecting there to be Middle-earth because they have to include things that will draw in the casual fans and say, hey, you recognize this character. This character ties into the events you already know about, and we're going to tell you the story before that. And as much as I don't want it to happen, I'm expecting there to be some prequel slips, like things that are like, hey, you remember this that happened in Lord of the Rings? You remember this that happened in The Hobbit? Well, here's this and this. I'm expecting that kind of stuff. I don't want it to happen, but I'm expecting it. I'm just hoping that they don't do it to the point where they give up their own story and 
because they did that a lot in the Hobbit movies. But they did that a lot in the Hobbit movies, and that was at the detriment to the fact that they were trying to tell their own story. Like uh, when Legolas gets told to go seek out Aragorn. Aragorn was 10 at the time of the Hobbit, so that's basically like his father was saying, go find this 10-year-old kid, he's important. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it was a prequel slip, and it's the kind of thing I expect to see in the series, and I'm hoping I'm wrong. Now, what would I wish to see? Well, I hope that they do give a little bit of a nod to Oloran and Clarinier and so on. I'm hoping that they give that stuff a good solid nod. I'm hoping that they have access to the unfinished tales so that we can maybe end it, because you know how the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies have like multiple ending sequences? I'm hoping they keep that going. It's kind of a Tolkien-esque trademark. The Hobbit doesn't end with simply the death of Thorin. No, it ends with the and back again storyline. The Lord of the Rings has multiple endings to wrap up all things in a nice, neat little package, both in the book and in the movie. And I'm hoping they do that with this. I want to see the battle of... I want to see the War of the Last Alliance carried out through its entirety. I want to see my boy Gil-galad have time to shine. And yes, that's an elvish pun. Look up the meaning of Gil-galad. You'll find out what I mean. I want to see characters that got kind of brushed off in the movies get their time. And I know why they were brushed off in the movies. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I want to see them get some more time. Because a lot of them did their thing in the second age. I want to see this dark period in the history of Middle-earth. I want to see this gritty politics. I want to see this worship in this seething underbelly of Middle-earth. that gets overlooked. I want to see this kind of stuff. My idea of a dream ending in this is we see... Sauron do the big battle against the Valar. I want to see the sinking of Numenor. I want to see him tricking them into building the rings and all the distrust from the other characters on the sides. I want to see the armies rise up and the conflict. And then after all of this great casting down, I want to see the hope of Middle-earth return in the form of the white trees getting planted, the establishment of Gondor, um, some nods to Rohan. I want to see all of this kind of stuff, even though in the timeline some of that's third age kind of stuff, but I'm hoping that they kind of allow its usage in this. Because I know that there's also another series that's supposed to be coming out regarding the War of the Rohan. I mean, the War of the Rohirrim. And, well... We don't know hardly anything about that other than it's going to be animated, and I like the Rohirrim. It's one of my favorite uh, nations in Middle-earth, so I'm hoping that they're going to do well with that. And I hope that it may even have some tie into these events, because it should. But I want to see these things, because the big 
takeaway from Tolkien is doesn't matter how dark it gets, there's always the long defeat, but there's always hope involved. In the form of the catastrophe and that read some Mythopoeia, read some uh, on fairy stories, essays by Tolkien, and you won't be disappointed, and it'll explain this concept of the catastrophe. But I want to see long, drawn-out defeats, and I want to see hope sparking up out of it, because that's always a Tolkien trademark. Even in the rhyme, the shibboleth of Aragorn, you know, the renewed shall be blade that was broken poem. All that is gold does not glitter, not all who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither, deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. Even within that poem we get this aspect of hope rising in darkness. You get that with the Battle of Helm's Deep. They brought the elves in to give that extra hope in the movie, but in the book it's just hope in a defiant sense where they had no sense of beginning to think that they were going to win. In either case, though, you get that beautiful hope and darkness mindset. And that's why I want the ending of it not to just end with the defeat of Sauron, but with the showing of a rebuilding in Middle-earth, the age of man coming to a closer fruition in a positive context. So I hope that they thematically catch this, because as much as they want to ride on the kind of success that they got with Game of Thrones, I want to see some positivity, because that is the point where Martin and Tolkien deviate very much from one another. Hope. Tolkien had it. Martin really doesn't seem to. He likes the dark. Tolkien likes victory. You can like whatever you're going to like, but that's the difference between the two, and I hope that they capture that attitude. I hope they capture the spirit of Tolkien, because any adaptation should be subject to that goal. And so I hope, and in some cases pray, I don't usually pray about that kind of thing, but I hope that they actually capture the actual truth of Tolkien's themes. And if they do that, I'll consider it at least a moderate success. So I want to see stuff from the Unfinished Tales creep in with the arrival of the wizards in Middle-earth and the planting of the white tree of Gondor. I want to see that kind of stuff. Because they got a lot that they can do here, and I'm hoping that they don't waste the opportunity just trying to make everything too dark and gritty. What I can tell you I hope I don't have to see is a lot of nudity. I don't think it needs to be there, and I think it would go contrary to the spirit of Tolkien's works. That's not to say that stuff doesn't exist in Middle-earth. Sorry, Martin. Go write your own books and leave Tolkien alone. But we don't have to see it to know it's there. So I'm hoping that their hiring of the intimacy coach is really just about keeping things respectful. So you guys were wanting to know my thoughts on the matter? Here we have it. 
based off of just my memories overview of the events of the second age and from different sources this is what i'm hoping to see this is what i'm expecting to see this is ultimately my hopes and ambitions for this project i'm hoping that it turns into something good that's going to get people into the deeper parts of middle earth lore i'm hoping that it gets people to look into the legendarium more I'm kind of glad it's a TV series, honestly, because The Silmarillion would never work as a series of movies. So I'm hoping that this series really does justice by the, by the source material. And they're really opening themselves up for a lot of interpretation because there's a lot of room for it. So they can make changes without making changes in a way. So here's hoping it all goes well. All right, now I'm going to do a little bit of a reading in place of the history or character spotlight segments, as this is a special episode, and it's going to be our only one for this month. And I'm going to try to do my best with, you know, my symptoms right now, but a little bit of a backstory to this. This is from Tolkien's poem, Mythopoeia. Now, Mythopoeia was a poem written in response to... Uh, C.S. Lewis's assertion that uh, myths and legends were but lies, though gilded with silver. Now, um, that was, of course, before uh, C.S. Lewis came to religious understandings the way he ended up doing. And this was with a poem that uh, Tolkien wrote in response to it. It works as a back-and-forth discussion. It's called Mythopoeia. I believe it can be found in Tree and Leaf and some other various collections of Tolkien's work. But this is a segment here that I think really helps capture Tolkien's view of legend. Blessed are the legend-makers with their rhyme of things nor found within recorded time. It is not they that have forgot the night, or bid us flee to organize delight. In lotus isles of economic bliss, forswearing souls to gain a Circe kiss, and counterfeit at that machine-produced bogus sedition of the twice-seduced. Such isles they saw far, and ones more fair, and those that hear them may yet beware. They have seen death and ultimate defeat, and yet they would not despair retreat, but off to victory that have turned the lyre, and kindled hearts with legendary fire, illuminating now, and dark hath been, with light of suns, as yet by no man seen. Remember, legends, myths, works of fiction, and fandoms abound with the one sole thing to make us happy, and I hope that you all find some joy in that fact.
and moreover may you find the true lessons that lie there in them. Have a good one. As always, if you liked the show, please subscribe, share us with a friend, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. For more content, like the blog, check out our website, Kilted Lantern, all one word and spelled like it sounds, dot wixite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E, dot com, slash Kilted Lantern. That's kiltedlantern, dot wixite, dot com, slash Kilted Lantern. Also, take a peek at our social media, with our Facebook page for up-to-date information and a bit of niche humor, the Facebook group for nerdy discussion and chatter, and Instagram at Kilted underscore Lantern. This podcast was made using the software on Anchor.fm, and all music used in it is from their free music library. All properties mentioned in this show are copyright to their respective holders and are used without permission. All opinions presented are the views of those that brought them forth and do not necessarily reflect those of the podcast or its host. Until next time, remember to keep your ring charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky.